0: I object to all punishment whatsoever, I don't want to punish anybody, but there are an extraordinary number of people who I want to kill, not in any unkind or personal spirit, but it must be evident to all of you, you must know half a dozen people at least, who are no use in this world, who are more trouble than they're worth. And I think it would be a good thing to make everybody come before a properly appointed board just as he might come before the income tax commissioners and say every five or seven years, just put them there and say, sir or madam, now, will you be kind enough to justify your existence if you can't justify your existence, if you're not pulling your weight in the social boat, if you are not producing as much as you consume or perhaps even a little bit more? Then clearly we cannot use the big organization of our society for the purpose of keeping you alive, because your life does not benefit us, and it can't be very much use you of yourself. George Bernard Shaw sounds like a tough hang, you know, not somebody you wanted to invite over for dinner. Can you justify your existence? Uh, this is a really harsh and kind of cold way of talking about human beings. It seems to me this is a question actually a lot of us ask pretty regularly. Can I justify my own existence? And we may not have so desperate of a view as Mr. Shaw did about that uh, question, but we all wrestle with it. Another author, Stephen Pressfield, said it this way, We all fight wars in our work, within our families, and abroad in the wider world. Each of us struggles every day to define and defend our sense of purpose and integrity to justify our existence on the planet and to understand, if only within our own hearts, who we are and what we believe in. Does that ring true to you? Of course, so many of us, whether it's in our jobs or in our relationships or in our hobbies or in our beliefs or whatever, we're trying to figure out, we got something going on inside of us that isn't quite right and there's this gnawing sense, that there's something missing, there's something that isn't as it ought to be and I sure don't want to come before some kind of commission to have to answer and justify my existence because I don't really know what the answer would be. But we go out and we try to look for it, get more money, be more successful, be smarter than everybody else or at least as smart as, smarter than the dumbest person in the room and we just want to, we want to achieve some sort of justification for our life. Of course, you know the problem. The philosopher Eric Hoffer said it this way, the individual who has to justify his existence by his own efforts is in eternal bondage to himself. And that's the way a lot of us live, in bondage, enslaved to this this need to justify ourselves some way. And that manifests in a lot of different uh, arenas, but it's a challenge, it's a problem. This is why the, the biblical doctrine of justification is so important for us to to consider and to wrap our heads around and to understand and to internalize and value it uh, the idea of justification is there's something wrong and I need to get it right uh, that's all those uh, these philosophers and authors and thinkers that's what they're talking about is that in the human condition there's something missing there's something cracked there's something not quite right and how do we put Humpty Dumpty back together again how do we fix it uh, and so In the bible it's really the same thing as a matter of fact the word justification is just another translation of the same word a same root word at least of righteousness righteousness the idea being for things to be set right for things to be as they ought to be justification is how you get made right how you get put right now i think those of you who read the bible before you know this and if you haven't you might guess look at romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This is really sort of an introductory passage to what Brian just read for us from Romans chapter 3. Romans 1, verse 16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel or the good news about Jesus as king. For that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, to everybody. Everybody can be saved through the gospel. What is the salvation you're talking about? Well, it's because in the gospel, the righteousness of God, meaning that it shows that God is righteous, but also it imparts us how to become righteous. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous, or those who are justified, will be justified by faith. The same is uh, largely said in the passage that Brian just read for us, as I said, in Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. We're going to deep dive that more in just a second. If you look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, Romans 5 and verse 1, Paul, at the conclusion of at least part of his argument about justification of solving this deep need that every human being feels, he says in Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are various other passages that talk the same way. The gospel is the answer to this need that we all sense deep down, the need for justification of our existence. Um... Let's pause for just a second here. We've already said, uh, partly defined the idea of justification. Let me give you some, some images that the Bible uses to help us think about what it means for things to be set right. And that the gospel sets right the things that are wrong. The gospel puts together what's broken down in our souls. One way of thinking about justification is on that sort of existential level that really these authors, who as far as I know aren't particularly religious people, But just people who notice how human beings work, they say, hey, I know there's something wrong with me and I'm not really sure what it is. How often have you felt that way? Or do you feel that way? By the way, I wanna add, this includes everybody, even those of us who are followers of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote these things about justification to followers of Jesus. People who should kind of have this sense solved, this sense of justification, but we still can struggle with it at times. There's something wrong, and I don't know how to put it back together. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to set it right. So the first level of justification, or the deepest level maybe, is an existential need for justification. There's something wrong. I can't even put my finger on it, but I need it to be fixed. There's another way the scriptures speak about justification, and that is in uh, legal terms. You're a criminal. You've done something wrong, and you're condemned for that. Of course, the Bible word for that crime is sin. You've committed sins. You've violated God. And in the highest court of all the universe, you are condemned and you stand there and you're going to hell forever unless your wrongs can be made right, unless your punishment can be pushed off onto some other um, source of absorbing the penalty that you deserve. So justification is a legal thing. But it's not just legal um, because... In the scriptures, especially when you read books like Romans and Galatians, I'm not going to spend a lot of time to highlight this now. If you want to test this out, feel free to talk to me afterwards. We can go through this a little bit more. But the idea of justification isn't simply, hey, you could be punished before the court and you need to get off the hook. Because you know what happens, at least those of you, who've, I don't know how many of you have had to go to court for something that you've done wrong. Uh, but if you do, when you walk out, you just walk out kind of by yourself. I'm free. I don't have to, I'm not accountable for that. But that's actually not the picture of justification that the gospel provides. It is that, but it's more than that. Because whenever we walk out of the divine courtroom justified before God, we don't walk out on our own. We walk into the family of God, into God's house. So justification, for instance, you can read the book of Galatians and see this. Justification in the scriptures speaks to how, really what was wrong with you was you were on the outside. You were all alone, lost in your sin, but God has not just absolved you of your crimes, but He's actually brought you in and He's given you a new status. You're not just innocent, guiltless, you're His child. You're one of His people. And you have the legal right to call on Him as your father. So uh, maybe to think about justification another way justification is about family, about being brought into God's family. What's wrong with you? It's been fixed. And actually, it's even better than you could have imagined. All right, so you get it, right? This is justification. All the wrongs have been made right. Everything that's busted has been fixed and put back together. It's a beautiful thing. And those are things we all want. We want that sense deep within us to feel like it's all okay, that existential justification to be solved. We all know I've committed crimes. Brian even alluded to this, actually, in his prayer. The need for, and some of you even probably feel this, punishment. Punishment. I should be punished, or I think I'm going to be punished because I've done something wrong. There's that legal justification. But also there's that justification, that sense of, but I don't want to just be on my own. I feel the need to be embraced, that my life can be justified in being loved and accepted and embraced. How do you pursue those? The temptation for all of us is to pursue them on our own. Like that one philosopher, Mr. Hoffer, said, to justify our own existence. And of course, all we end up as is uh, is slaves. This is a temptation, and not just for people who don't know about Jesus, it's actually especially a temptation to justify yourself even if you're following after Jesus. Turn to Romans chapter two, I wanna show you this. I wanna show you how uh, some people, maybe some of us, I don't know about you, But how some people seek to justify themselves After that, we're going to transition to look at how Christ actually solves the the question of justification and what that means for us. But first, let's look here at Romans chapter 2 and how uh, too often people have and people do try to justify their own existence. Romans chapter 2. Let me set the stage just a little bit. Paul is writing to the church at Rome and specifically he's addressing uh, the mixture of Jewish and Greco-Roman Christians culturally. And especially the Jewish brethren were coming with a lot of baggage about their old viewpoints. They were Christians, but they had a lot of things mixed up about how the gospel worked. And so he's addressing them uh, with what they were going through. We're going to see their issues and kind of get down to the fundamental core things and bring that forward to us and see how that relates to perhaps the temptations we may face to justify our own existence apart from God. All right, check it out. Romans 2, let's start in verse 17. Romans chapter 2, beginning in Verse 17. The Spirit says, But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and you know His will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself. Let's pause right there. We'll pick it up in verse 21 in just a second. Uh, If you were to say from verses 70 to 21, what does it seem like these people were utilizing to justify their existence? What would it be? What does it seem like they were really preoccupied about and they really, really thought, hey, I'm a pretty good person or God thinks I'm a pretty good person because fill in the blank. I'm going to suggest one thing that it appears to me that they were uh... relying on for their justification and that was their knowledge notice how much of these these phrases are about knowing things we're gonna come back to that first line about if you bear the name jew here in a second but he says in verse 17 you rely upon the law verse 18 you know his will and you approve the things that are essential in other words you know all the rules and you get to tell people which how to, how to handle things you know stuff Uh, Being instructed out of the law, verse 18 says. And then he lists off all these things about you think you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish. You know stuff. Knowledge is an easy way to feel like we justify ourselves. Do you guys know somebody like that? Who justifies their existence through their knowledge? Do you have an actually guy or actually girl at your work? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Somebody starts saying something, you start explaining something, and the person says, actually... It's not right. And then they tell you the real thing, you know? They have got to be the smartest person, right? You get in a debate about something with someone and they've always got to be the one that has the last word. They've always got to be the one that's right. They're justifying themselves through knowledge. Uh, I remember one of my friends, one of my classmates in school, uh, she would get so mad every time after we would get papers back or tests or whatever. I don't know if she ever got anything lower than like a 90, but she would get so upset. If anybody else in the class, particularly those of us who were her friends, if we ever got even a point higher than her, she had to be the smart one. You know, she had to know. She had to, and she would have to, I got a 93, why didn't I get a higher grade? It's like, dude, I'm not going to talk to you about getting a 93. People have real problems in the world, are you kidding me? But she had to know stuff. Because being intelligent and being acknowledged as an intelligent, knowledgeable person, that's what propped her up. That's what fixed the stuff that was broken inside. That's what made her justified. And, of course, this happens in religious terms as well. I just, I, I, you know, I've got, there, there's the, the guy who's watching pornography every night. He's kind of hateful to his friends. He's greedy, but he reads his Bible. And anytime somebody says stuff about the Bible, he's like, well, I know the answer. I can tell you. And actually, he goes out and tells people about the knowledge that he has. Because I guess that justifies him. And whatever problems he may have, whatever things he can't quite overcome as far as sins and temptations, he's reading that Bible. He knows some stuff and he can tell other people about it. His knowledge justifies him. There's something else though. It's not just knowledge that these people were using to justify themselves or to prop themselves up or to say, I'm worth something because I know some stuff. I have knowledge. Um... I don't know what the best word is. You could put your own word on this. But I'm going to say that the other way that these people were seeking to justify themselves was through their tribe. Through their tribe. Or you might say their heritage or their association, whatever you want to say. I'm going to use the word tribe though. Notice that's the very first thing he actually mentions in verse 17. He says, and notice the way he says it. He says, if you bear the name. If you bear the name Jew. And actually some of your translations might have that in quotation marks. It's almost like Paul's trying to say, "Are you really actually a Jew?" By the way, I'll go and tell you later on in the text he's going to say, "No, it's not about outward stuff that you could, uh, you know, have or retain that makes you one of God's people." That's what the word Jew came to mean was one of God's special people, one of the justified. You may say I'm a part of this tribe, but that doesn't necessarily make it so. Uh, he talks about at the end of verse 17: "You who boast in God." Well, of course, Jews would boast in the fact. In Paul's day of, hey, we're the special people. We've had a heritage with God for centuries and we're the special ones. More special than any other tribe of people, we are the people of God. Uh, These statements made in verse 19, a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, uh, those were statements made to Israel in the Old Testament. You go read passages like Isaiah 49, Isaiah 58 that uh, highlight that. And so here's the point. Those statements aren't just like, hey, we know stuff, but it's we belong to the special group. We belong to the right tribe. Uh, That happens a lot too, doesn't it? That we justify our existence through our tribe. So people feel a little insecure. So what do they do in the lunchroom? You look around and you find some people that look like you. You guys remember that back when you were kids? You find some people that look like you. Or if you don't find anybody that looks like you, you start dressing like you. Just pick one of them you say, I'm going to dress like those kids. And then you start being able to sit with that tribe because otherwise who am i am i worth anything does anybody want me i got to find a tribe that i can belong to i mean there's other forms of this whenever you start growing up the appeal of joining a gang i don't know for some it might be all the activities but really it's not the activities of joining i don't think that most people are drawn to it's that i get to belong to a tribe maybe i've never felt like anybody loved me or looked out for me or would support me or would say that i was worth something but if I do what these guys say to join this group, I'll be worth something. My life will actually mean something. People do the same thing in a less, less dramatic way with sports teams, you know? You buy all the gear, you say things like we, even though you've never set foot on the field. You didn't win anything. But you say we because you feel like I'm important because I'm a part of this tribe, you know? People do it with uh, political groups. I'm a part of this political group and that makes me something compassionate, or, uh, or intelligent, or thoughtful, or powerful, or whatever. I've joined this tribe and that makes me something important. Um, people even do that on a really small scale in their romantic pursuits. I feel alone and I don't know if anybody thinks I'm really worth anything. So maybe I could at least form a little two-person tribe with somebody and that person would tell me I'm worth something they would love me, they would care about me, and I would actually mean something, my life would mean something. And of course, this really happens when it comes to church. I don't know how many times people say, hey, I got all these problems, I need to get in church. And that's the way people say, it. I need to get in church. Well, I'd say that's pretty much true, you do. But actually, that's not, that's not kind of the path. Some people think you join church and that'll kind of fix everything. We'll see in a second that it's a little, there's something else that you really need more than a group of people. But the idea is, let me join this tribe and that'll justify my existence. I'll get to wear the name of being a part of this group or that group like Jew or fill in the blank with whatever tribe it may be. We try to do that to justify our own existence. Notice by the way, both of these knowledge and tribe are ways of seeing something outside myself and I say, okay, that looks like a foundation I could build my life on. That looks like something I could anchor to. That looks like something I could grab hold of and it'll take me through the storms. It'll be my shelter in a time of storm when I'm in trouble. Third thing that these people uh, were using to justify their existence, besides knowledge and tribe. I'm going to I'm gonna use the word performance. Performance. Notice what the rest of this text goes on to talk about, pretty much the rest of chapter 2. We won't read all of it. Um, and I want to highlight something. He actually, in verses 21 through 24, he talks about a lot of bad things these people were doing. They thought they were justified in the eyes of God, even though they knew they weren't supposed to steal, but they were thieves. They weren't supposed to commit adultery, but they... Pretty much we're doing that kind of stuff. They're doing all kinds of things that were wrong. But they were doing some things that they believed were right. Listen to verse 25. For indeed, circumcision is a value if you practice the law. But if you're a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. In other words, you might as well not be circumcised. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? and he who, uh, who, unphys- who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you who through having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, or in other words, he is one of the true people of God who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart by the spirit and not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, we read this we're like, man, what's going on with all the circumcision talk? All right, here's what this was. The Jews of Paul's day were not particularly obedient to God's law. Like all human beings of all times, they weren't particularly obedient. They disobeyed in a lot of areas. But what they did do is they kind of siphoned off a few things and they said, hey, if we do this stuff, if we perform in these ways, God will be happy with us. So males were to be circumcised. We all need to be very careful about the Sabbath day. Don't break any of the rules on that. We need to wash our hands. You guys may remember Jesus would deal with that kind of stuff. People would say, you need to wash your hands in a real particular way to be clean in God's sight. Um, What else? Oh, people would say, don't eat certain foods, and you can't eat other foods, and you da-da-da, all this kind of stuff. You see the point? They had decided some things over here. If you keep these rules, if you perform appropriately, then you'll be justified. Someone might say, what about the stealing and adultery and lying and all that stuff? Don't worry about that. That's not a big deal. We're not talking about obedience here. We're talking about performance. Set up a standard that if you meet this standard, you're good to go. You're justified in the eyes of God. Now, by the way, this is connected to the other things because, of course, their list of things they were performed by came through their knowledge of the law, at least selected knowledge. Remember, they're justifying themselves. So they didn't take all that God said. They just took pieces that they thought were important, the knowledge that they gained. Also, the things that they selected were not like general moral and ethical requirements. It was things that made you really a special part of the tribe. Really Jewish, in other words. The circumcision, the food laws, the Sabbath, all that kind of stuff. It made you super Jewish. It it solidified your place in the tribe. If you perform appropriately. Is performance ever a challenge for you when it comes to justification? You work crazy, crazy hours. Not because you think it's the right thing to do or you want to help out your coworkers, or you're trying to do what your boss asks, but because you want to make sure that at the end of the day, nobody ever questions how hard you work or how gifted you are. Have you ever felt unjustified or like you're less than because you couldn't accomplish what other people could accomplish? You compare yourself to others you say, look at what they're doing and look at what they're doing and I'm just, what am I? And when it comes to God, have you ever gotten a list of things you say, all right, listen, I can't obey everything, but if I could just do this list of things, then I'll be okay. And maybe at some point you feel a little proud of yourself. Hey, look at me. I'm a pretty good person. God is pretty lucky to have me, actually, because look at the ways I'm performing according to these standards. you get my point? It's so easy to fall in these traps of justifying ourselves, either through our knowledge, through our tribe, or through our performance. Of course you know the problem. You threw your anchor on what you thought was a rock, but it was just a bed of sand. You started building your house on something that you thought was a foundation, and then you look up and the house crumbles all around you, because none of these things really work. Because at some point you wake up and you realize, either you can't accomplish the standards you've set for yourself of performance, that that'll make me, something, that'll make me worth something, that'll satisfy the longings in my heart, that'll make God love me. You realize I either can't accomplish it, or I'm doing it and it's not fixing it. It's not dealing with my problems. Or the tribes that you join, you start looking at how it breaks apart and fractures. And you say, this thing is not working like I thought it was going to work. I thought these people were going to lift me up. But actually, they're tearing me even down even further than I was before. And all that knowledge that I have, what good is it? All it does is remind me of all the ways that I have things messed up and what I'm missing. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. Beginning, actually, at the end of chapter 9 in Romans. He said, these people who were seeking justification on their own, justification or righteousness in the flesh, they never found it. They never found it. And that's true for us too. So we come to the solution. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. I want to read it again. Bill Bryan read it beautifully for us earlier just to remind us of what this says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, the real justification the real solution to that existential need that we feel, that legal condemnation that we face, that outsider status that we all carry with us every day apart from God's family and His people. The righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or maybe we say... All have sinned and therefore have that existential emptiness. All have sinned and stand condemned before God. All have sinned and are outside His family and His loving care. All of us have sinned and have fallen there. But verse 24 says, You'll be justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith, And this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The solution that the gospel teaches is stop trying to figure it out on your own. Stop trying to learn a bunch of stuff or join a bunch of tribes or or meet some certain standards that you've set up, stop trying to do that and come to the Lord. Now you may say, okay, that just sounds like a feel-good, empty Christian talk. And it's not. That's the great thing about this text. Instead of just saying, hey, just believe in Jesus and it's all good, he actually explains to us how Jesus provides the solution for the justification that we also desperately need. Notice how he breaks it down in a few different ways. I'll start back at verse 22. Verse 22, actually, when he talks about righteousness in verse 22, uh, verses 21 and 22, I should say, uh, to some extent, he's talking about, hey, this is how you can be made right. But he also is speaking of how God has proven himself to be righteous. Uh, The righteousness that God himself holds. Nothing's broken in him. Well, how can I know that? Well, one way you can know that is that God's reliable. He speaks about the Law and the Prophets, and what he's referring to there is how God has said a bunch of stuff throughout history. He's made a bunch of promises, he's made a bunch of declarations about his character, about the world, and about us. And they are all proven to be true through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe to put it this way. God is faithful. God has been loyal to his word throughout the centuries, and therefore he's reliable. So you thought all that other stuff, your knowledge or your tribe or your performance, was something you could lock into and say, this is something I can rely on. Paul says, you know that's not true, you've tried it. But you know what is true and that you can lock in on? It's God himself. He's proven it to be true. His righteousness has been proven through his loyalty, his faithfulness, his keeping of his promises all throughout the centuries. Look at the next thing in the list there in uh, verse 23 talks about how the justification that we have is a gift by his grace. A gift by his grace. You know, grace, in other words, is something that you give, right? so you, yeah, you, Maybe you want to curry favor with somebody or whatever, and you offer this thing. Well, a lot of us, what we try to do is maybe through our performance, maybe, well, let's, let's go with the performance thing. We try to come to God. We say, God, look at all this stuff I've done for you. I've, you know, I've done whatever. I, well, like the people that Jesus talked about what happened on Judgment Day. People say, we did many mighty deeds in your name, and we spoke in your name. We did all this stuff. And Jesus said, but I never knew you. You see, we actually can't offer enough gifts to pay off our debts. But Christ did. That's why the life of Christ is so crucial for us to understand. That's why his death is In a way, tragic, but in another way, beautiful, because none of us could pay the price for our condemnation, but Jesus did, and you don't have to earn that. You actually, you can't. So it's not even you don't have to, you can't. So quit trying to somehow tell God, oh, look at all the good stuff I gave you. Can I be justified now? Look, I'm giving you more. Can I be justified now? You know, that's like a little kid bringing his mom a Mother's Day gift. Who got the construction paper for him? Who bought the crayons for him? Who taught him how to write mommy? Who did all that stuff? It wasn't him. Any gift that he gave, she gave to him first. That's how it works with God. You can't justify yourself. So quit trying. It's by the grace of God that we find our justification in the death of Jesus Christ. Now you might feel, oh, but I've been enslaved in my sin. I've been locked down too much. My condemnation is sued too deep. The brokenness down in my soul, it's irreparable. Well, look at the next little phrase here in verse 23 or 24, excuse me. It says that this grace was given by the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, the redemption. Um, The concept of redemption is that something is lost. Uh, Maybe it was lost in slavery. Actually, the first time the Bible uses the word redemption, it speaks about the Israelites who were liberated out of their slavery. First time anybody was said to be redeemed. They were slaves, but then they were set free someone had the resources, someone had the power, someone had the wisdom to break the chains, to unlock the door, to set them free. No matter how deeply you may feel, you're tangled up in whatever problems you may have that prevent you from coming into God's presence and His love. God says, no more. Through my son, I've broken you free. We sing that song. He's truly broken every chain. There's nothing that could hold us back from the love of God because of the price that He paid in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 25, uh, he uses a little bit of a different image. Uh, You may have the word propitiation. Nobody ever uses that. You might have another phrase, uh, atoning sacrifice. The the concept here is that you deserve punishment. Remember, we're in court and we deserve some sort of punishment. And it's coming down upon us, but instead of that punishment coming down upon us and us facing that reckoning, someone has stepped in and said, No, no, I'll take the punishment on your behalf and you can go free. You don't have to face this. You don't have to be punished that's what jesus did in the cross whenever you hear him cry out my god my god why have you forsaken me or or he talks about father into your hands i could my spirit you see his agony and his pain in the cross the agony and pain we remember every first day of the week we're not just supposed to think oh man that's so tragic that's so sad it is but it's also our salvation that he took on the pain that we deserve He was broken to put us back together again. He was put outside so that we could be brought in. He provided our justification as the one who covered us whenever we were in all our trouble and all our pain and all our sin. Uh, The last phrase I want you to... Actually, two phrases here. You may think, but that's not fair. And you're exactly right. It's kind of not. It's kind of not. It just doesn't seem right. But here's what really wouldn't be right. Is if God just said... You know what, guys? Forget about it. I know I said sin equals death and sin is bad, but just don't worry about it. We'll just forget about it and move on. It's no big deal. How would you feel about that? What if God had said that right before Jesus goes on the cross? God just stopped everything, and that's. On one hand, you'd be like, great. I wouldn't have to feel bad for Jesus. That'd be good, you know? But on the other hand, would you ever be able to trust that you were actually justified? You know, so many of us have this sense of, I've done wrong. I deserve punishment. I deserve something. And you know what? That's true. There's a reason why we feel that way. I think George Bernard Shaw had it totally wrong about how it should be handled, but he's not wrong that actually all of us have to give an account to justify our existence. And probably a lot of us, actually it's more than he even knows, all of us deserve death for that. But what's beautiful about Jesus taking our death is we know the bill has been paid. If God had just said, you're off the hook, don't worry about it, well then what's going to stop him from changing his mind and calling us to account again one day? The great confidence we have in the death of Christ is that our justification has been paid for. That's what that phrase is, he has become just and the justifier. He's fixed us because he has paid the debt. Maybe we deserved it, but Jesus took it on and said, I'll claim responsibility for all of them. I'll claim responsibility. I don't deserve it, but I'll take it on so that they will be justified, so that they will be made right. And God accepted that. I should say, God engineered that plan with His Son through His Spirit. You might say, but I still mess up a lot. There's no way, there's no way God can embrace me as His child because God's perfect. And I imagine his family must be all perfect. Matter of fact, when I look at all the other church people or see out there posting, all, they sure look pretty perfect to me. I don't see any problems they've got. Well, first of all, that's just not true. You can't see what's going on inside people. But even if it were, notice verse 26. The thing that God demonstrated in order to justify all the human race and every single one of us, look at what it says. It's for the demonstration of his righteousness. Oh, sorry, verse 25. My mistake. It was because it was in the forbearance of God. God put up with us for centuries. Jesus put up with the people He was with every day of His life. And God will continue to put up with us, even in our weakness, even in our frailties, even in our failures as His children, where we're not going to be perfect. We're never going to perform exactly right. We're never going to know all the stuff we ought to know. And frankly, we're not always going to look like the tribe ought to look like. But that's not what this thing's dependent upon. It's dependent upon Christ and our faith in Him. Now that's the, the key point, right? This isn't like Jesus just did it and he waves a magical wand and everybody's justified. The justification offered by Christ is only for those who say, I'm done trying to justify myself. I seek my justification in Christ alone. I look to what the Lord has done or will do in me, not what I could do in myself. Let me briefly, briefly tell you what this means. Um, justification by faith means that you believe that Jesus is your king, that he's the ruler over heaven and earth, that his ways are right and better, and that your ways are not. That's what faith in the gospel means. Uh, But of course, if you believe in it, it means you better respond to it. Some of us believe in things, sort of. You know, whenever I hear people talk about like financial planning, investment stuff, (laughs) I believe in that stuff conceptually. But I guess I'm too coward to really get into it the way other people do it that I think is the right way. I think we're grownups now, we're supposed to do it, but it just is kind of scary to me personally, I don't know about you, to do all the stuff people do. If you believe, really believe, you're gonna do something about it. If you don't believe, you're just gonna say it. Oh, I believe in whatever. I believe in that workout program, but I'm, not, I'm about, not about to start working out. Not till 2021 for a week or two. You get my point? Belief in the gospel means that we obey King Jesus. Actually, in the book of Romans, the first and last time the word faith is used, so bookending the book, the first time faith is used and the last time it's used, it's a part of the phrase, the obedience of faith. In other words, Paul's assumption is every other time you read the word faith, you already know in your head, well, what he means is I need to obey. It's not just that I agree, God, you're smart, you're big, you're powerful, you're loving, but no thank you, I'm going to do what I want to do. That ain't gonna work. To have faith in Christ is to obey Christ. Can I point out that's different than performing for Christ? Performance is, I pick out a list of things and I'm gonna do these things and I'm gonna feel good about them because I I met the performance standards. That's not obedience. Obedience is, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. I'll do it. Every day, whatever you say. Not what I think I should do, but whatever you say. Similar to how belief is better than knowledge. Knowledge is, i got to figure everything out. i got to collect all this data. Belief is a form of knowing, but there's an element of belief where you say, whatever you tell me, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to embrace it. That's what faith means in Christ. Uh, Faith, by the way, has been proven to us through what He said and what He's done throughout the centuries. And maybe I'll say one more level of faith is not just that I believe things and that I obey whatever He says, but I'm loyal to Him. You know, like those people who are loyal to their tribe, who will stick with the tribe. Whatever the tribe says, I'm with that. Whatever person the tribe supports, I'm going to support them. Whatever the tri- activities the tribe is doing, well, I don't necessarily think they're great, but I'm going to be a part of it. Look, what the gospel calls us to is loyalty to Christ, who's been loyal to us, who gave it all up for us to stick with us, even in our darkness, even in our brokenness, our condemnation, our isolation, being outside. He went out for us. He took on the penalty that we deserve. He took on brokenness and darkness for us. And then he calls us, follow me back home. Be loyal to me. Don't be loyal to your tribe. Be loyal to me. Don't try to meet your performance standards. Obey me. Don't try to ascertain your own knowledge and figure things out in the world about how you can fix yourself. Believe in me. That's why Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 says this. Romans 4 25 says, he was delivered over because of our transgressions in other words he paid the penalty for us and he was raised up for our justification to prove that all this stuff will work because you might say that all sounds good but just because somebody dies for everybody that's sweet and all but how can i know i can count on you the reason you know you can count on it is jesus didn't just care enough about you when you were in trouble he's powerful enough to solve all your troubles He was raised up to prove that God has something better than all the attempts we have to justify our own existence. He was raised up for our justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. No more turmoil, no more struggle, no more enslavement to ourselves and our own failures. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Not something that we figure out on our own, but in the grace of God, we stand firmly and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Not in the hope of your own knowledge or your performance or your tribe, not in whatever hope you might be able to generate on your own, which is hopelessness, but in the hope of the glory of God himself in the face of Jesus Christ. And not only this, Romans 5 and verse 3 says, but we also exult in our tribulations. We're still going to go through trials, external, internal, we're going to go through stuff. But we know that our tribulation brings about perseverance. I've got to stick with Jesus because if he's done all this, if he can do everything that I need, how can I give up on him now? It brings about perseverance. And that perseverance, proven character, something starts changing in me where I'm not that broken, messed up person. I don't sense that existential dread anymore. I actually know I'm not condemned because something's changing. He's doing something inside of me. And that proven character brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Our hope doesn't. Their hopes do. And maybe your hopes, maybe the hopes that you're trusting in to fix what's broken, maybe they're disappointing you. If they are, then come to the Lord. Come to the one who can justify you. Come to the one who can fix what's broken. Come and put your hope and your trust in Him. Because this hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Remember what I said that in the scriptures, justification isn't just about some sense you have inside or some legal accountability you have before God. It's also the justification of being brought in, of being embraced, of being loved by the one that you would think could never have loved you. He's so perfect. He's so big. And he kind of feels distant. The beauty of the justification we have by faith in Christ Is that God's love is poured straight on in. It's true. We were helpless and hopeless. But at the right time, Christ died. And not for people who were righteous or good that someone else might die for. He died for people who were his enemies, for people who were sinners, for people who were weak and hopeless and helpless. And if God has loved you and me that much, that He would do all that for us, then why would we doubt that He will justify us? And actually, look at Romans chapter 8, and verses 29 and 30. Why would we doubt that that justification wouldn't bring us all the way in? Actually, look at Romans 8, verse 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Well, what is His purpose? For those whom He foreknew, or that he loved before he ever even knew him. He predestined to become conformed, shaped, made into the image of his own son. Those people who were sinners, those people who were broken, those people who were condemned, God said, not forever. To everyone who believes in my name, to everyone who will come to my son, to everyone who loves me, I'm going to reshape them. So that Jesus would be the first among lots and lots of brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he called through the gospel. And those who he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. That's why we believe in the gospel. That's why we put our hopes in believing in Jesus. Being obedient and loyal to Jesus wherever he leads. Because all the justification we would find on our own, it's never worked and it never will. But we can have true freedom. So what can we say about all this stuff? You know, If God is on our side, then who or what could ever be against us? You know, God could have spared his son, and that would tell us maybe you're not worth it. But he didn't spare his son. He delivered him over as payment for our transgressions, for our condemnation. Who's the one who could condemn us? God is the one who justifies. God is the one who said, this is my child. This person's innocent. This person, all that brokenness, that's over with. Because my love has been poured out into them. And so I am convinced, and I hope you are too. At least I'm convinced most days. I'm convinced moments like this right here. And I hope I reconvince myself every time I forget about it. I'm convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor authorities, nor principalities, nor powers, nor anything in heaven or on earth or under the earth could ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus The one in whom we have faith, the one who gives us our justification. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love that you poured into our hearts, that you've embraced us, that you've forgiven us, that you've fixed the things that are broken within us. And we pray, God, that you would teach us every day to trust in your justification, to have faith in your son Jesus, to believe in the good news of his rule over heaven and earth, to be obedient to him, to be loyal to him above all others. Forgive us, God, for the times we've tried to justify ourselves. Be patient with us when we slip back into that and lead us back to your throne, lead us back to the cross, lead us back into your arms so that we'll know your love and live in your love now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.